Hi everybody, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. Um, my name is Mario. Um, I just want to acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nation whose land we broadcast from. So tonight you'll be hearing a chat that I recently had um, with 3CR's very own Ayan Shirwa. But before we get into that, I have some very sad news. We received the news this week that Maurice Leonard has sadly passed away over the weekend. Um, Maurice was the co-founder of this show, but was also involved at 3CR in so many ways. She did reception, um, helped with events, and staffed phones for our radiothons. Um, Chronically Chilled just simply wouldn't exist without her. Uh, we met randomly sitting together one day at 3CR, um, and it quickly became clear that we would be radio show collaborators, um, but we would also be friends as well. She's going to be missed deeply, not just by me, but um, by other good friends that she made around this place. On behalf of 3CR, I also just want to send our collective condolences to Maurice's family and friends. Um, so we don't know the exact date yet, but we'll be having a program to honour, remember and celebrate Maurice. So stay tuned for that and check out social media and so on. So on to today's show. Ayan Shirwa is a Somali-Australian presenter and producer for Accent of Women, and Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, if you haven't checked out those shows, you definitely should. Um, they're both fantastic. Um, I caught up with Ayan recently and she generously shared her experiences about her mental health, navigating um, often competing cultural expectations, um, accessing support, and the health impacts of racism and other oppressive social structures. I began by asking Ayan about her involvement at 3CR. So I do two programs. Uh, one is a breakfast show, Tuesday Breakfast, and I do it with some incredible femme and non-binary non folks. So we look at current affairs issues impacting women and folks from non-binary backgrounds. And yeah, it's we, I guess, look at these issues from an intersectional feminist lens. And it's really good. We've had all sorts of people. We've had you know people come on to talk about... New Start Allowance, we've had people talk about their shows for the Melbourne Writers Festival, so it's across the board and we're just about... But we also, we always make sure that if we are talking about a topic, that we bring people with a lived experience. Um, as you know, that's really important because mm. often there's a mediator or someone who is their spokesperson and it's good to just hear it directly from that person. So I do another show called Accent of Woman with Giselle Hanna. It's a fortnightly show and it's a national radio program. And the good thing is you get a snippet of money, which is good because I'm unemployed at the moment. Mm -hmm. So that sort of helps. So we look at all sorts of issues again, but mainly so the people that we interview have to be has to be a person of colour or a woman of colour, sorry, mm. um, and that's been really difficult because unless the issue is specifically about that community, it's really hard to find right. people from... So I, I was doing a show... I've talked about this before, but I was doing a show on um, why we need to raise New Start. So I contacted some organisations who are like pig bodies and then I was like... So I sent them an email... It's like, hey, I'm doing a story on this, but because our show prioritizes women of color, it's mm. really important that your the media contact 
be someone from that kind of background. Yes. Everyone got back to me, no, sorry, we don't have anyone that fits or they have one person but that person's away. It really, you really get to see how um, little we are represented, mm. um, especially in positions of power because mm. being a spokesperson or being like the PR is mm. really important and we're not there. It's funny, It's uh, I'm listening to you going, yes, that's been my experience as well because there's a lot of like bodies and organisations and stuff that like to speak for people. But once you ask them to get them to actually identify someone with lived experience, they really struggle, hey? Yeah, they really do. And I guess a lot of the time, well, th- this is this is what I'm thinking anyways, they've never thought of us in a position of telling our own stories. So there's that there's that mentality of helping us Mm. as opposed to we help ourselves and then you just give us the platform yeah cool um i got you on this show because i know you've spoken a little bit about depression and anxiety um and i wanted to have a bit more of a chat to you around your experience of all that so thank you for coming on but um also can you i guess just describe a little bit what that's been like for you yeah so I was first diagnosed as having clinical depression when I was mm. 17. Um, so I was going to Origin, I, I think it's called Origin, Origin Youth. Origin Youth, yep. Yep. So I was going there and um, I had two sessions, so two therapy sessions. And then uh, then they offered me Effexor, so to sort of keep my mood stable. Mm. Um, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Okay, so I don't need therapy. Right. <laughs> so I kind of bug it off. And then since then, it's been up and down. And I've gotten to know a lot about my depression through reading, through reading and podcasts and YouTube. Mm. So I feel like I'm an expert. And it's only recently that I've um, started seeing a therapist. So I've been seeing her for two months and she's incredible and um, so I did some tests and then they found out I had um, social anxiety. Right. So social anxiety, I think people think that it's a fear of like being in the presence of others and it's really not. So you can have social anxiety and be an extrovert. It's not just shy mm. people, right? So basically social anxiety is the fear of judgment, right? So... And it doesn't happen across the board. So some people's social anxiety manifests in like one-on-one situations or sometimes it can be in big groups or sometimes it can be like the workplace. But you could be fine in every other environment. So it's just a certain environment that it pops up. And so it's sort of like, you know, when you can't hold someone else's are like when you can't do eye contact because mm-hmm. you don't want to see the judgment appearing on that person's face or, you know, you struggle to um, talk on the phone because mm. you're constantly um, assuming the worst, right? So mm. for whatever reason, you think a certain way about yourself and then you're looking for signs in others mm. to, um, I guess, support the way you see yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah, how does it kind of manifest for you? Okay, so I did the Emerging Writers Festival and I was so nervous because mm. I did this thing called Amazing Babes. So you get up and you talk for ten, seven to ten minutes about um, 
women who've um, who are amazing babes who've inspired you and writing it down that was fine then I realized oh god I'm going to be performing this yeah. <laughs> and in the lead up to it I had made such a big deal about on social media yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's that anticipation and I was like oh my god but surprisingly I did really well mm-hmm. so when it comes to public speaking I'm okay it's just mine um, manifests in workplaces I don't know right. why um, well I sort of do because when I was 23 I got a job at calls and it was my first proper job and I was really excited about it but it was a cashier's position mm. and I was making all these errors and I, the lines were getting longer and people were getting upset with me and I I don't know maybe that that traumatized me because ever since mm. then I've struggled to hold down a job um, or struggle to apply for a job because I'm so worried about how others will perceive me yeah and in the workplace there's judgment right so yeah. you judge on the quality of your work Absolutely. so in workplaces it's like this like judgment on steroids pretty much so um mm. and there's an element of performance um but one-on-one conversations i'm fine um when i when i'm in a new surrounding i'm sort of really hesitant and i'm a lot quieter and i've met people who've met me when i'm quiet and they then they've seen me again in another setting. And they're like, it's two different people. And I'm like, oh, no, no, that's because I didn't know anybody. So I think I have all these high expectations about how I should be as a person. And I don't know how to relax. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. even like relationships, Mm. um, like that. Because first of all, I'm Muslim, right? So, um, and then I'm sort of, I've got one foot in, in like, you know, one foot in the traditional Muslim world and then mm. one foot in the secular world, right? So yeah. I'm already juggling that and that's pretty hard. But then I've got also that fear or that judgment about myself that comes from the two different areas. Mm. So in, in the Muslim world, that judgment of I've got to perform and be a certain type of Muslim girl. Mm. Then in the secular world, it's like, you know, you're sort of frowned upon if you've got a religion and you're sort of not seen as progressive. Um, so I've got all those like concerns and worries. So when I meet someone, I'm thinking about all these things, right? Oh and God. I'm thinking about, I have all these things in my head and I don't know how to just sort of meet that person at their level. Yeah. So I have all these assumptions about how I should be acting. So let's say... I laugh too loud or I um, don't say the right thing mm. or I say too much. So it's either being too much or too little. And, um, yeah, so I, I haven't – it's hard for me to get into relationships um, and I've ruined relationships because of that because there's no evidence to, to prove that I am the way I think I am. Mm. But I'm so determined to see myself that way. I'm – Slowly unlearning it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you talked about having expectations, I guess, of yourself that you needed to, you need to be a certain way depending on kind of your situation. Mm. Um, are there also expectations from others around how you should be? Um, and I'm thinking kind of your community and maybe even family and stuff. Yeah, there's definitely expectations because I'm the oldest in the family and in my community, 
the oldest has the most responsibility. Mm. But in my family, in my household, I'm the one that has the least responsibilities, right? right. So my, my two sisters are both employed, you know, both. Um, so they travel, they're able to like live, a, a, I don't want to say productive, but like quote unquote um, adult life, yeah. I suppose. What we would consider to be yeah, yeah. adult life. Yeah. So they're adulting really well and I'm not. So there's that pressure. So um, I feel it. My, my family doesn't say anything, but, you know, when I meet relatives and people see me and they see me laughing and talking and going to places and they're like, mm-hmm. but why are you, like, why don't you have a job, right. you know? Or, or um, why aren't you married? So... Then they, then I'm guessing this. I don't know. I feel like this light bulb comes on in their head where they're like, okay, something must be really wrong with you mm-hmm. if you haven't done A, B, C, D, you know, by your age. Um, and I don't know. I also struggle with how to um, practice my religion in Australia. Um, just sort of how to practice it in a way that's fits me and Mm. fits my values and you know there's values that I've gotten outside of the community and it's just sort of making it gel um but yeah so it is from the community it's also from Australia um you know just sort of because the weird thing about social anxiety is you you assume people think this way about you but then you also know being a black person people do have assumptions so that's not in your head so you're like okay so is this occasion in my head or is this like uh based on facts or um based on like the way people see black folks yeah so so it sounds like you're always having to kind of assess things and kind of Mm. try and work things out and trying to always make decisions about what's going on here and where do I stand and where do I sit with this yeah like it feels like I'm I'm sort of dancing to other people's drums right. and it's just trying to catch up with the mm. rhythm yeah yeah um so finally racism is being slowly linked to poor mental and physical health um people that have experienced it have known this forever um but i think research is starting to catch up a little bit way too slowly um being a person of color and a refugee mm. yourself um, is this something you can relate to around kind of the the cost of racism yeah yeah definitely definitely I remember when I first started going therapy um um I had like a what was those mental health plan so Mm -hmm. 10 appointments so I left after the second appointment (laughs) because I was like oh I feel like people are staring at me and I feel like people are judging me Mm. and she was like how do you know if you're not staring at them back and I'm like uh and then you know, and she was like, oh, maybe they're staring at you because you've got cool hair or oh, they gosh. love your tan. And you're like, oh, my God, I want to die. Yes. Um, so finding appropriate, so finding services that are culturally appropriate is mm. really hard. Thankfully, the person that I'm seeing now, she is a woman of colour and she also comes from a predominantly Muslim country. Good. She's not Muslim herself. So I can sort of talk about the... the, the um, concerns that I have and she won't look at me weird and you know she won't tell me so I've I've talked about how I want to move out 
and she is very much she understands the cultural obligations as being an older girl um being the oldest in your family but also being a girl and how you don't move out unless mm. you're getting married that's or unless you live overseas and then you know of course you that's you living out of home but those are the only kind of conditions you move out of home mm. so she understands that she doesn't pressure me and she doesn't sort of um force me to to abandon my culture and my religion because that's very important mm. to me so for her it's all about finding a healthy balance yeah and and i guess like there's a mental health royal commission at the moment um but just in general, when we're having these conversations around mental health and also physical health, it's the problem, they always locate the problem in the person. It's either in your head or there's some kind of chemical imbalance and all this stuff. And I don't feel we do a good job of talking about just the impact of social structures and the social environment on people's health. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I like it's only recently and by recently, I mean a year ago that I realised that, that I was able to link um like depression with social structures like because mm. I don't think I mean I don't know if people are born this way but I can see how social um how institutions and so on could exacerbate the situation right mm. so why do I feel like I'm a burden or why do I feel like um you know that I'm an issue right so you can't help but notice, like, if you go on social media, you see all these information, propaganda about my community, and I can sort of say, oh, you know, that's wrong, that's racism. But sooner or later, you know, you can't help but internalise it. And then you start to think, you know, you start to respond in a way where you want to be seen as, like, not a troublemaker. Which So what ends up happening is you don't live your life to the fullest because... You're sort of tiptoeing and not wanting to be too big or, you know. And that constant feeling of being surveillance, you know, it's not in my head. Like that feeling of being constantly watched, you know, it happens when I'm in stores, yeah. when I'm like in coffee shops and when I'm at the library. It happens all the time. And then you start to... I don't want to say you become paranoid, but you become so... It's like you're naked, mm. right? And now I'm... Before, I felt like I had to fight every situation. So I had to sort of say something or give a look to sort of resist. And mm. I haven't stopped resisting, but now not engaging in that helps because it's so exhausting yeah. having to, like justify your existence or speak on behalf of your community mm -hmm. it's a lot of work and it's not fair yeah um yeah totally and the health professions have got, got a huge long way to go around understanding this stuff and the impact of racism sexism you know ableism all that stuff on people's yeah. lives um you was you were talk, talking about the horrible experience you had with the psychologist um, I think it's doing a disservice to people. No, 100%. And, you know, even like when I've gone online to look for information about like coping strategies and a lot of it is sort of, you know, you've got to, um, you know, 
get up and just do it yeah. and just some self care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 face your fears and self care has become commoditized now. Totally. So there's a lot of that. So a lot of it becomes you're the issue. So wherever you are, you're there because you know you're not working hard enough or you're yeah. not productive enough or yeah. you're not strong enough. You're not resilient enough. And I love the idea of resilience, but now it's just becoming another thing. It's becoming like another thing, self- thing to blame people for because they're not resilient enough and it's kind of their fault. Yeah. Yeah. This is how language gets misused, I think, especially yeah. in the psychology kind of realm and stuff. You've talked about it a little bit, but in terms of getting kind of support and stuff, if you've got a great fit at the moment, how difficult was it to kind of get into this service and find this person and stuff? Yeah, it was extremely hard. So my GP um, referred me to a place. So they rang me up and I would have been out of pocket like a hundred plus something dollars. And then they were like, oh, but you get, you know, it's it's rebate. You know, you do get your money back. And I'm like, but I have to have money in my account to begin with. Yeah. Like I'm on Newstart allowance. So by the time I um, pay rent, um, uh, buy credit for my phone, buy, um, pay the water bill, um, you know, by the time all that, all the calculations are done, I don't have any money left, mm. right? So I was, re- and so that place rang my doctor back and was like, sh- she rejected the service. So my doctor rang <sighs> me, was just like, you know, Ayan. Um, you know, you've been doing this for a while, you know, you go to therapy and, you know, I've, I've, I've sent you to these places and you've knocked them back or you've, you know, showed up for one appointment and left. Like, do you not care about your health, you know, mm. y- if you want to be committed? And, and then she actually, she was like, why don't you get a credit card? And then she's like, you know, if you don't have, she was trying to explain how credit cards work. And I was like, no, I really don't want to go into debt. You know, I can't afford to go into debt. And she's like, what about family? And then I said, no, but I can't do that to my family because mm. all the money that we have, like, we don't have, like, you know, an abundance of cash, so I can't. Anywho, she wasn't helpful, so I was like, look, I'm going to do my own research. So I asked all my friends to go on social media on their Twitter posts and, and, and sort of anonymously say, hey, we have a friend who's looking for this. This is her situation. Mm-hmm. It has to be bulk bill, la, la, la. People started responding on those posts and then they sent me that information. Right. So if it wasn't for word of mouth, if I didn't have friends who were like clued in and understood the health system mm-hmm. or if they didn't have friends who understood it, where would I be? I'd have to take my doctor's advice. Yeah, right. Um, I I recently connected with a service because I've been having a bit of a hard time um, and I made an appointment and they go, there's a 48-hour cancellation policy. So if you cancel the day before or whatever or wow. on the day, then we can charge you kind of stuff. The person who I connected with has got chronic illness as one of their specialties. So and you're kind of going, it just doesn't make very much sense around how these services set up themselves to to kind of help people and when I was thinking about it I'm like it's coming from a real place of privilege yeah yeah absolutely and it's very punitive it's the same with mine as much as I love the services that I'm receiving there's constant text reminders that look um 
you know, so yeah, your appointment is this day, but if you don't contact us by this, you'll be, you know, you'll have to pay. And and that's why I stopped going to one of these places where I was like just an hour um, short of the um, cancellation period. Mm. And then they wanted me to fork up a hundred something if I wanted to have another appointment. So I left and, Mm. you know, they don't realize like if, you know, I don't think people realize there's a link between poverty and depression as well. Like yeah. what happens to the people who don't have cash to just chuck away, totally. right? You're like, you're their lifeline. And now you're saying to them because your illness got in the way. Yeah. You've got to pay. That's right. Um, you mentioned talking about um, things that make you seek the new start and Centrelink kind of um, the way the Centrelink is operating at the moment has caused a lot of harm to people. Um, and I guess you were talking about being on Newstart. I, I thought I'd just ask you a question around where you see that and what you think needs to change in that area, given that we're having a public debate about it mm. at the moment. Well, it's definitely not... They need to increase it because, what is it, 200-something a week is not enough, right? Mm. I'm so thankful that I have a roof over my head, that I have family who or work so there are times when you know they can sort of not even learn me because my family doesn't believe in learn but they'll support me out and and I love that and I'm so thankful to have that but I can only imagine those people who don't have those support networks what are they going through right Mm. so I'm sort of in a way protected because of my family um but there's so much pressure from your job consultant to to find not just work, but any work, right? And if you reject the work because A, it's too far away and you don't drive, or B, because it's a job that you know will trigger your health, like none of that is taken into account. Mm. It's sort of like, look, we found you a job. And if you reject it, you're sort of seen as like not compliant or a troublemaker. And now they've got all these, they've got these demerit system. So three points and... Like if you don't show up to an appointment and, you know, like as, it, as it happens, sometimes you really do forget. Instead of calling you up and sort of going, hey, did, you know, did you forget about the appointment? Now there's an automatic like, yeah. yeah, so it goes to Centrelink and Centrelink cuts off your suspension. And unless you have a good excuse as to why you didn't turn up, that's one demerit point. Right. Three demerit points and then you're cut off for a few weeks, right? Mm. So... There's the assumption that, you know, you don't deserve this money and because we're giving it to you, now you've got to, like, jump through hoops for it, Yeah. right? So it's not seen as a safety net. It's sort of no. they give it to you begrudgingly and with yeah. all these conditions and and there's just so much stigma. Well, in, I want to say in my community, but I know it's across the board mm. where being un- unemployed you're like a pariah, right? So there has to be something wrong with you or you're too lazy. Um, yeah, and it's really hard. It's it's extremely hard. And I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want people feeling sorry for me. But I also think it's important to talk about mm. it because it's real. It's happening. It affects a lot of us. And you don't want to think you're on your own. Yeah. Um. I remember I went for the disability support pension and I ended up giving up because it was just, it was making me so anxious and 
just the whole process was just so awful. And then I was thinking, that's exactly what they want you to do. You know, I've just done what they wanted mm. me to do and just give up. So they make it as hard as possible, make you through, jump through these ridiculous hoops, make mm. your doctors jump through ridiculous hoops as well. Yeah. Um, and you can't, and yeah. nowadays it's really hard to get a doctor, well, at my place, it's really hard to get a doctor's appointment before you could call up in the morning and then have one in the afternoon. Yeah. Now they might not be able to see you in like, you know, it might take a few days or sometimes they do have a doctor available, but they don't do bulk billing, yeah. right? So so you're already stressed because you need this payment. Now you're stressed because you need your, you need to see your doctor and you can't see them. Mm. And now there's a time limit because they're like, yeah. we want you to bring in the form yeah. by but, this date. And you're like, but my doctor and la, yeah. la, la. So um, it's, it's, it's the worst feeling. You're constantly on edge because you don't know and the phone calls and you know just the way they talk to you sometimes I wonder if if, if these people even get any training in you know talking to people because they mm -hmm. talk down to you and and if you show any type of like pride th they sort of see it as a challenge like you know, this person's a bit of a, mm, like an mm, issue, they're right? protesting too much or something. Yeah. Mm. So now I've got to, I hate to say it, but now I play the part. Yeah, right. Just so I can um, get out of there or just have that rubber stamp so I can get my next payment, right? In the beginning, I went in, you know, guns blaring and just sort of saying, these are my rights and, mm. you know, you can't do this. And then I realized that wasn't working because... makes you a target, yeah. It makes you a target. And mm. then I had... So I've had three different consultants. I've left that job service provider, but my old one, I had three different consultants and they all, when they met me, you can tell maybe they had read my file or, you know, people talk amongst each other. Mm. So when they approached me, they approached me with like, we know you're an issue. So this is what you're going to do. Don't give us any lip. They didn't say that, but the way they um, engaged with me was very hostile yeah. and... Yeah, it's okay. it's horrendous. Yeah. One last question. Um, you've talked about, you know, social anxiety and depression. And um, I guess I just wanted to ask you, um, what advice would you give other people who might be, you know, having similar experiences? Ah, uh, yes. So this question, I really thought about it because, you know, sometimes you do an interview and you're like, but I didn't get any information from any useful information. So <laughs> I did my homework. Your girl did her research. So um, uh, definitely speak to your GP, but also know that you can find it. Like you should be able to seek another GP if this GP isn't supportive or, um, you know, they don't believe you or, or they're not like they're treating you just like another number. I think it's important to shop for GPs, mm -hmm. right? I totally believe in shopping for GPs. Um, also, once you sort of have an idea about what your health issues are, do your homework, right? So go on websites, you know, YouTube. There's so many amazing podcasts right now. So if you go to a search bar in a podcast and type psychology, there's all these amazing shows that come on, right? And there's all these shows as well that are like psychology for black women or, or therapy for Muslims. So, you know, it's like a plethora of just programs that you can sort of learn more about your health. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I'm 
be compassionate. <laughs> be very compassionate to yourself. Um, people with social anxiety tend to have high expectations and that's another issue. So I've got to always remind myself that when I stumble or um, when I'm struggling that it's okay because I'm fighting 20 plus years of programming or 20 plus years of um, thinking negatively about myself. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, if there's a day when I do feel down and I can't get out of it, it's okay because this is normal. It's normal to have days when you're down and just to constantly remind yourself that um, it will get better. And I remember someone gave me this advice. They were like, if you just count to 30 seconds, if you make those 30 seconds then count another 30 mm. and then just sort of like, you know, and then sooner or later you're sort of like, okay, I don't need to count anymore. I feel a bit better. Mm. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of tricks that you can learn and apply to your life. Um, and be ready to do homework as in right now. So when I see my doctor, she gives me some, she gives me, um, like little things to do. So we do stuff called smart goals. Um, so we set a goal, but the goal has to be realistic. It has to be achievable. And, you know, you have to also be able to me measure where you're at to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. So now when I see her, I see her, I come in with like my diary full of notes and I just really enjoy um, getting better. Mm -hmm. And I have someone who is so kind and just really supportive and, um, you know, just really affirms me and it's so I really enjoy doing the homework. So what, so yes, getting better is like doing work, but it's work for you. Mm. So I guess that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much for your generosity. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I also just wanted to, um, let people know that if anybody's been listening and they feel like they need um, for the support or some advice, um, you can call Lifeline on 131114.